This episode of the Unnamed Automotive Podcast is brought to you by Roland Gumpert and the Gumpert Natalie, the first electric car powered by a methanol fuel cell. Be sure to head to RolandGumpert.com to learn more about this electric super sports car or check the links in our show notes. Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad and with me as always is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. Now, if this is the first time you've listened to our podcast, thank you for trying something new. But I usually use this time before we get started to talk about what the podcast is all about. And that's cars. But before we get into that, I'm just going to ask my friend Ben to plug all the cool and interesting stories he's been working on. But specifically, this wicked new graphic novel that he's been working on. So I have a graphic novel that is coming out later this year from Scout Comics. But before that happens, we have to pay for the art. And art is expensive, especially when it's great. And in order to do that, we're running a Kickstarter campaign that starts on March 3rd. It's at code-45.com. That will take you to the Kickstarter. You can sign up to be notified as soon as it goes live. And if you're curious as to what the novel is about, Sammy, it is about a woman who is a metro driver in Montreal who discovers that there are these rumors of dragons that live in the tunnels underneath the city and that all of her metro driving friends are terrified of working because of that. And as a result, they go into this kind of negative feedback cycle where they take drugs to make it okay to go down in the tunnels, but they can't tell whether what's happening in the tunnels is real or whether they're hallucinating it because of their drug habits. The book is a lot about the idea of subjective reality. How can you tell what's real? How can you tell what isn't? And the main character, Vanessa, has to decide all of this for herself while she's also plunged into the underground rave scene in the city and finally figure out how it ties into a dark secret about her own family. Uh, That is... That's exciting. I can't wait to to see that. You said the Kickstarter opens March. What was it again? March third. But March third. If you go to Code Dash Forty Five right now, the name of the book is Code Forty Five. You can sign up to be notified. There's a little button. It says click this, and we'll tell you when the when the Kickstarter goes live. And if you would do that, I would appreciate it. Uh, I know Sammy and I, we don't ask you for much on this podcast, but your support would be really helpful if you're into comics, and if you're not, and have some friends who are, maybe just mention it to them. Very cool. Um, And so that's just one of the projects you've been working on. Why don't you talk about some of the places people can read your car content? Yeah, if you're interested in things that aren't comics, you can find me in Motor Trend, Automobile, Haggerty Classic Car, and Driving Line. Very cool. And you can find my latest work at autotrader.ca as well as nouveaumagazine.com. So this week, you and I have the same car to talk about, which is the new the 2020 Subaru Outback. And specifically, we drove the same model, which is the Onyx Edition X. Tea. And so I just ben, want, I just want to let yeah. people know it wasn't the exact same model. Like I didn't show up at Sammy's house and take the keys and drive home to my house, and then the next day we did that vice versa. It was. I mean, uh, logistically that wouldn't work. So well. no, I mean, very little works logistically between us. So this was two separate versions of the same car. Okay. Yes. And um, I'm actually I was really surprised um, about this thing because I think on paper it seems like a pretty strong product, a 2.4 liter turbocharged version of the. Outback um, always sounds like a good idea. I mean, I've always really liked the six-cylinder versions of the Outback, but uh, as time went by, it started feeling a little bit more and more dated, and I thought it was about time that the Outback needed something a little bit more fresh and modern. And I was hoping that this new XT edition would possibly could possibly fill that 
void. And I'm not sure it left me with uh, the strong positive impressions that I thought it would. I'm surprised to hear you say that, Sammy, because aren't you horribly biased as someone who currently owns two Subarus, including one Outback? I do have an Outback. I have a 2010 Outback with a six-speed manual transmission and the basic 2.5-liter four-cylinder engine, which I'm pretty sure is still available in the Outback today. Um, and, you know, I, I actually I drove the two vehicles back-to-back, and um, I was... I don't know. There were things that I, I could definitely see the two being very related, despite being 10 years apart. Um, there are a few things that I didn't think the latest version of the Outback made such a fantastic leap. It just didn't feel as as brilliant as I was expecting it to be. And that's important because, in my eyes, the Outback is sort of like the halo product for um, or the flagship product of Subaru's SUV lineup. It's not the Ascent, which is more of a family-friendly vehicle, but the Outback, I think, really exudes the quality that Subaru wants to express with their with all of their products, which is it's supposed to be rugged, practical, um, and and uh, I guess that incapable. I guess is the best way to put it. I think the fact that it doesn't really feel that different from past Outbacks is on purpose. I think that Subaru is a company that is evolutionary and not revolutionary, mm-hmm. uh, excluding vehicles like the BRZ, which you're very familiar with. It's uh, it's it's something they want to be familiar to past owners of the brand. And, you know, full disclosure, I've owned probably four Subarus in my lifetime, including mm-hmm. an Outback at one point, although much older, late 90s edition. And... I, I like the package that they have to offer, but I agree with you that something seems to have been maybe lost in translation to the current model in that it's not necessarily as much of a revelation as it once was. And I think partly that's because the whole market has caught up to Subaru and caught up you know quite some time ago. And we're maybe feeling the effects of that more now when we expect the new version to somehow stay ahead of that pack. Uh, actually, my, uh, that's a great way to put it. I also feel like Subaru did a very good job with the Forester, which feels um, very responsive. And I thought its biggest drawback was it wasn't offered with a with a turbocharged engine of any kind. And um, I was expecting essentially the experience in the Forester with uh, an upgraded powertrain, and I didn't exactly get that. So let's just let's just get into the basics. First of all, let's talk the, about well, let's talk about that drivetrain. Let's start with that. Yeah, under the hood is a 2.4 liter turbocharged. Boxer, which is the same one that's found in the Ascent. It makes 260 horsepower, I believe. Is that right, Ben? I think so, but you know what? Where are my numbers on all of this? (laughs) Yeah, you know, Um, that's right for horsepower. Yes, 260 horsepower and 277 pound-feet of torque. It's paired to a CVT, which is important because the last um, higher output um, Outback was paired to an automatic transmission. Um, was it was and, it really because the the last Forester oh, right. had no, had a CVT as well? It was CVT I am only. mistaken. Sorry, I was thinking of an automatic in the old uh, Outbacks, and I completely forgot that they gave the three point six and uh, a CVT as well. So this has a CVT. The three point six? Uh, no, the three point six never had a CVT. Sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was the so one. That's that was, what I'm saying. That was the one that was stuck with the old five speed, I believe, for a super long time, and then the turbocharged motor, the two liter. That I think it was a two liter, or it was a, yeah. no, sorry, two point five. It was a two point yes. five, and that that was in the XT Forester, and that had a CVT because I remember it had you had Sport and Sport Sharp, and and each of those settings offered you like you could either have I think 
eight ratios or four ratios. I can't remember exactly. It was, they yeah. had these automatic, ra- these uh, virtual ratios programmed into it. It was a different number. And I remember thinking like, who would ever need eight virtual ratios? I remember when I first drove that, it must've been, I don't know, 2014 or 2015. But uh, yeah, uh, needless to say, the XT Outback that we drove now does not have any virtual ratios, Sammy. No. Nothing. What? What are you talking about? Oh, yes. You know what? Mine didn't. Yes. It didn't have a sport sharp button either, did it? No. It didn't have any sport buttons. There was just one drive mode. Drive. Uh, yeah. Isn't There's that a manual mode. So the ratios, there is a manual The mode. ratios are in there somewhere. They're but, like an eight-speed – it's like eight-speed manual mode. But yeah, it but I, I didn't use that. I, did you use that? No, I never used that. And and uh, it just – it's interesting because the previous XT models were really marketed as being sporty. And this one is definitely not. Or if it is, no. it's on the DL because we it, it, it doesn't get advertised anywhere in the car. So just to kind of pull everything together, 260 horsepower is decent. The CVT is a little weird. It is a lot weird. It never – it is jumpy I think is the best way to put it. It is very eager to get you in a power band and then very eager to settle down again. And as a result, you never quite get a consistent, confident-feeling transmission. And I know that's weird. I would, do I want my transmission to feel confident? Yeah, you kind of do because you want it to make sure that – it's in sync with you and what your demands with your right foot are, right? Yeah, and 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 confident. You know, when you were talking about it surging, it, it really does surge off the line right away, and then, like you said, it's kind of settles. So, it's it's reminiscent of older CVT technology mm-hmm. in that way, where you kind of feel like you're yo-yoing up and down the power band at times, especially off the line, and that's not a that's not a fun experience. It kind of detracted a bit from the engine overall. I didn't really feel like it was a peaky motor until the transmission started treating it like maybe it was one. <laughs> yeah, I think that's really interesting because I think on the highway and and just driving around town, the car is actually very powerful and it's quite smooth um, enough for you to, to, to not realize just how fast you're, you're traveling on the highway, for example. It's a very good engine in that regard. But the, the CVT can just sometimes act a little... Um, erratic and i I found that really that was noticeable and it also wasn't particularly frugal for me yeah fuel pump it what it used a decent amount of fuel i mostly drove it around town which explains that and it was mostly snowing so it wasn't ideal conditions for setting a mileage record but not that impressive and i know this is a heavy vehicle and i know it's the most powerful engine but Mm -hmm. uh sammy did you have that experience as well mine I, i mean it's rated to get 30 mpg on the highway in 23 uh, in the city, which aren't fantastic. They're not amazing numbers. They're not that. And I didn't achieve anywhere near 30 miles per gallon on the highway. Not a clo- not even close. So what, but what did you like about the motor? You said it was quick. It feels reasonably it quick. quick. Um, it's it's, it's got power. Yeah. So I want to um, I point out that the version that we had, the Onyx edition, this is totally random. It yeah. has water repellent seats, Sammy, made from vegan recycled materials. Interesting. Yeah. Did you know that? Did you, t- did you t- test them out? Is that something you learned while you were driving I car? broke three teeth on those seats, Sammy. <laughs> it was a mistake, and I'm yeah. not proud of it. But I, I will say this. My car was finished in a really nice dark green color. Yeah. And inside, I had dark green stitching on the seats in the dash. And I thought, yeah. I thought it looked good. Uh, mine, as well, was set up that way. It had a lot of black um, accents on the exterior as well. So it looked kind of sinister in a way. And I do like the green stitching on the dash and on the seats. I think that's a really good attention to detail, something that we're not – I'm not used to seeing in, in Subaru's products. I don't know if you agree with me on that. Well, they're usually very straightforward, I yeah. guess you could say. 
You can get real leather if you wanted. If you go, so there's there's three different versions of the XT: the Onyx, the Limited, and the Touring. And once you're in the Limited, you get things. So the the Onyx is pretty well equipped, but uh, you get cooled seats and a heated steering wheel if you get above it in Limited. Whereas you just get heated seats in the the Onyx. Um, you get like a standard sunroof as well. Mine had the optional sunroof. Uh, and I had the, um, there's a new thing for Subaru. It's their great big, um, this is another thing I guess maybe I wasn't so hot on in the car, was their center stack with the big infotainment yeah. system. I'm glad we're going to talk about this. So I took a look at that. I got in the car. I took a look at it and I, my, I did like a, I had a physical reaction <laughs> to that interface because it's very busy. And my head just kind of tilted back, and I was like, how am I going to figure all this out? There's a lot of – there's menus that slide along the top. There's a menu that pops up from the bottom. There's um, kind of something that just hangs around at the top for your uh, – just not the top top, which is already occupied by the slider. Yeah. But underneath that, you have like your your media. So if you're you know listening to the radio or your Bluetooth or whatever. And then mine had this like big open area, which yeah. is nothing. And it really kind of felt like space or, or screen space was not well managed. I'm really disappointed in the way that Subaru um, launched this sort of – it's 11.6 inches. It never felt uh, particularly cohesive. It is 100 um, percent – it causes a bit of a headache when you when you look at it. Like it is like, wow, where, where do I even get started? And then when you use Android Auto or Apple CarPlay – actually, first of all, I couldn't even get my Android Auto to be recognized by the car, which was surprising. I couldn't figure out if it was my cable or not. Um, I used two different phones, two different cables. I couldn't get it working, which is important because the Onyx Edition comes standard without navigation, and you'd have to pay extra for that. And I wanted to use my my phone navigation system, and I couldn't get that sorted out. And I was stuck with this really um, – it just was not attractive infotainment system, which no. is – as you said, I think, I think split up or designed to be split up in three different segments, but – they all look like they're in the same space. They're a little bit different in terms of font size and, and button size. And uh, nothing was particularly uh, quickly and easy to figure out. And uh, if you want to turn on the heated seats, you have to pull up a menu. <laughs> it's like a three or two button, uh, three or three button tap, right? Like it's yeah, not you have to you go up the menu for the for the heating system. And then you have to use the, for some reason it's in the climate control. I guess that kind of makes sense. But Subarus were always great for having toggle controls for the mm. heated seats, which are really easy to use when it's cold. And I appreciated that and missed that they're gone. Uh, yeah. And it, it, it just also it just was clunky to use. It, it, it could be better. It's not terrible. Um, it's it's way better than say anything from Lexus, which we've harped on in the past. But I, you know, when there's an all new system, I, I just guess I expected more. Um, one thing that was terrible about the car, in terms of its interior, I, I, I love the cabin. I love how everything looks. I like how everything touches. The the softness of the of the fake leather I had was fine. Mm-hmm. It felt reasonably premium. Um, I'm not a super big fan of the infotainment as we just discussed. But what I really didn't like was the stereo. It's probably you didn't like the stereo. It's probably this is, the the, base, this is the, like a base stereo too. Like. It is the worst stereo system I've sampled in maybe the last twelve months. It was absolutely terrible. I had to jack the bass up and the treble down just to get some semblance of balance from the speakers, and even then, it was the audio quality was really poor, and I was super surprised by that. Uh, it's. I haven't had that experience in other Subarus. I'm driving a WRX this week, and I don't have that experience in that vehicle. So okay. it was a bit of a shock. 
I also have an issue with forward visibility. You've probably heard me talk about this in the past, but they move because of Subaru's uh, eyesight safety system, which uses these two cameras that are set up on the top of the uh, windshield. It pushes the the what's it called the rear view mirror down into the center of the windscreen and then it just seems to be it, it just pinches my forward visibility and i can't stand that i'm not um, very tall so i didn't notice that but it's good to know okay. that um i also uh let's talk about the way this thing handles i was surprised at how light the steering felt is that something that um you would uh you would agree with me on i'm not sure i noticed light steering but what i did notice was in the snow the vehicle felt very loose uh yeah the the, the suspension was not super focused and there were times where I kind of had to corral it when I was going around a, a snowy corner because it was going to maybe get a bit out of control. And this okay. is even at low speed. So it was. I just had to keep an eye on the car at all times and make sure I knew what it was doing at all times. I couldn't necessarily trust that it was going to sort itself out. And that surprised me because I don't remember past versions of the Outback being quite so lively. Mm-hmm. This is important. What's important to bring up is that because you live in Quebec, you have mandatory snow tires. This car has snow tires. Mine yeah, and, well. it, and we were in a blizzard, too. There was a ton of snow on the ground, and it was just surprising. It loses the word to describe it, and uh, it's not a bad thing if you know how to drive a loose car, <laughs> um, but it was. Uh, it's not expected from a vehicle. It's not a performance vehicle, so I don't understand why it needed to be so... Uh, tops, not I, I don't know. It just. It, I agree with you. Loose is a great go. way to put it. And this is something that I was. This is the the most important thing that I felt when getting back into my um, my old Outback, which has you know it doesn't have the same um, electric power steering system as as the new Outbacks do. It has a, a far more simpler and and worn out suspension system and and a mechanical all wheel drive. Which yeah. the because it's a manual, whereas versus the version we drove has a computer control all wheel drive. And I was, I felt so much more. Now it might be a product, a byproduct of different tires um, or sized tires. I didn't really take it into consideration how how wide the tires on the on the new models are. But it felt abs- it, it really felt less uh, confidence uh, inspiring in the snow. I really noticed exactly what you're describing: a a looseness, a lack of feeling exactly where I want the wheels to be, and getting them where I want them to be was. And that's disappointing, in my opinion. And and there's one final thing that I had an issue with in the Subaru that I want to talk about before we get to the good parts of the car, or more of the good parts, because we've already said yeah. about some of the things we like. Um, I had an issue with the eyesight system where I was so eyesight, like Sammy described, it's their their driver safety thing, but it also for adaptive cruise control and follow along cruise control and semi autonomous driving, all that good stuff. So I was in very low speed traffic, probably about 10 miles an hour, 15 miles an hour. And I was, uh, it was actually the day I was dropping the car off and I had the eyesight set up to drive itself. And you actually don't have to have your hands on the wheel very much. It's, it's, it it monitors your attention in other ways using the robotic AI that I, I despise. But regardless of that, I was following along. I was in the middle lane of, of three lanes of traffic. At a low speed, and there was a car a reasonable distance ahead of me because remember the car, the, the Outback itself is is determining distance, not me. And everything was fine for about five minutes, and then the car ahead of me very slowly changed lanes, put its blinker on and changed lanes. Mm-hmm. And about that time, the Outback I was in decided it was going to change lanes too. Here's the <laughs> Following prob- the leader here. Okay. Here's the problem. There was a vehicle directly beside me when that happened. The, oh my the God. Outback turned to the right 
And then it warned me about the collision it had just initiated. (laughs) I had to grab the wheel and yank it to the left to avoid hitting the car beside me. That is not good. I wonder what causes that kind of behavior. Now, one of the things I was I was thinking about this because you get you told me about it a little bit. Uh, I don't know if the if the Outback has a sort of like follow the car in front of you mode that some BMWs have, but I also think that what the the eyesight does it's a very high con from what I understand a high contrast uh, camera setup, so it probably sees um, like darker colors a little bit more. And if you're driving in the snow, you can see the tire the tire marks. No, they, in see, the, snow. the road was clear. There was some clear. snow on the ground in between lanes, mm-hmm. but if that were the case. If it wasn't able to determine where the lanes are, it should have it shut should itself have tu- off. It should have turned off. Or it okay. should have not allowed me to turn it on in the first place, which is usually how it acts. I haven't had a car follow another car that in, in, in such an aggressive way I, since yeah. – I, I had an S-Class in like 2015 that did the same thing to me in the summer on a stretcher road where it was following the vehicle in front of it and it turned – and it turned the vehicle in front of me, changed lanes, and the S-Class tried to change lanes and I had to stop it uh, suddenly. So that's the last time that's happened to me. But, you know, I have had these systems um, not be able to detect a vehicle coming into my lane. And I've had to inter- 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 – I was going to say interfere, like somehow. <laughs> <laughs> like a referee. you got to get Biological involved. interference detected. <laughs> you know, like, no, I was – I had to stop the car in that instance. But in this case, I had to actually grab the wheel and keep – and it's weird because the, the Outback knew I was going to hit something. Because that whatever, you know, side view it has or radar detected another car, it just only detected it after it initiated the turn. So that's not impressive. That's a little freaky. And I don't think a modern self-driving system should do that. So my experience with EyeSight was also not extremely positive. I, I liked the, my adaptive cruise control when it, when it worked was great. But the key word is when it worked. Um, I had it as well during some pretty uh, tough snow. And uh, every often like almost every time i drove the car the car would tell me uh eyesight can't work in the in these conditions and that was really disappointing either from the grime and uh building up on on the windshield or something else like that or it can't, just can't see what it's trying to um determine is the safe place to drive i, so did I was really that, i did have that happen once too while i was driving it happened so much more than once and it really bugged me in that regard um it I mean, I guess when this is something that we were thinking about when we were talking about the Forerunner a while back. You know, so many cars have um, adaptive cruise adaptive cruise control and lane keeping assistance. That when we get inconsistent actions on these things, unexpected actions on these things, or just the fact that the car doesn't want to do that because it might be unsafe for it, or it acting unsafe, we get pretty sensitive about what happens there, which is. It's an interesting turn of, of events in the in the industry when we didn't have any of these features in the past. So in terms of things we did like, I mean, we talked about we like the motor. We're not so mm-hmm. hot on the transmission, but the motor's good. Uh, we like the interior materials and the design. Mm-hmm. Um, I also like the space inside the car. It's very comfortable. Yeah. There's lots of room for cargo, lots of room for people. It was reasonably comfortable to drive on the highway, too. I mean, aside from the looseness, which is not something you experience at higher speeds, it felt pretty planted um, when I was, you know, traver- when I was going from A to B on on clean roads. And the traction is good. I mean, looseness aside, I never got it stuck. I never had to worry about deep snow. It has reasonable ground clearance. And it's not quite as big as I'd remembered it. Um, I had kind of been ragging on the Outback for getting bigger and bigger over the years. But, I, you know, parking it beside an Ascent kind of throws that into perspective. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of my positives taking away from the Outback. What about you, Sammy? Actually, I want to talk about that. The drive, the driving behavior of it 
I guess we've been driving so many SUVs these days that when I got into the Outback, I was expecting it to feel like an SUV, like a true rugged SUV, something not quite Wrangler-esque, maybe closer to a Grand Cherokee or, or that, that Passport that I talked about a while back. And this wasn't that. This felt way more like car-like and um and and softer and easier to drive in um city or like city-based conditions like roads and ash and stuff like that yeah it doesn't feel rugged at all it doesn't feel rugged and it doesn't feel like an suv it feels like a wagon and i think that's one of the most important things about the outback is that despite people saying crossover suv or car the outback is a practical wagon that has all-wheel drive and can probably get over most um, – get through most off-road conditions that you'll encounter. In oh, your- yeah. My, my neighbor has an Outback and he was regaling me with tales about, you know, he had been uh, in the woods um, last year with it. And it was like kind of the fall. So there were wet leaves on the ground and there was this – there's this area he had to get to on a trail and he had to carry something back with him and he didn't want to walk. So he brought his Outback and there was like a section of the trail that had this like sloping – kind of muddy section and there was a small tractor that hadn't been able to get up mm-hmm. uh, and he's like no i'll try it in the outback and like even with the outback loaded up he was able to you know do this off-road trail thing on, on, on slick mud and leaves and had no problems at all when a more focused off-road atv like like vehicle couldn't do it so it is a capable vehicle i mean i'm sure you'll find its limits eventually i mean as with any capable off-road vehicle it just lets you get stuck farther away from home than you normally <laughs> would have yeah. Uh, what I'm trying to say is that when I drive uh, – when I do drive a car that says it's made to be taken off road, sometimes I notice uh, a sort of a stiffness in the suspension or uh, in the steering or something like that that makes it feel really like rugged and tough and you've got to be – you know, you got you to gotta drive with both hands on the wheel. You're a tough guy now. Um, wow. And, and the Outback There's never There's so much to like unpack in that statement. It never felt like that at all and I, I was really happy with that really mainstream, normal – driving behavior of the vehicle it never felt like an suv i'm just um, thinking about who who told you you had to be a tough guy when you were a kid i just a lot of people have to be honest is I've that had why that you became of, a karate instructor yeah i guess so wow <laughs> it was a good source of money too um anything else you want to add we, we haven't really talked about the pricing too now the it's, honest it's, edition it's like what 35 grand yeah, the Onyx Edition starts at thirty-five grand, and this is the most affordable version of the turbocharged Outback that you can get. And it'll like a fully loaded model is that Touring XT, which is just about forty thousand dollars. Not bad at all, right? No, that's and especially considering the, the the equipment that you get, uh, a really nice interior. You you know you do have to get used to that infotainment system. I do think you get a Harman Kardon sound system at the higher trim levels, so you don't get the same complaints that Ben had with the sound system. And you can buy us um, the, the cheapest version of the Outback with like the base motor is still under thirty thousand dollars. So it's you know this is a very reasonably priced vehicle. It's not overreaching. Uh, I think there's good value here for all the things we've said. Um, it's not necessarily true that it's that other SUVs or crossovers at the same price point are going to be better. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, these these are just this is the first. Well, it's been redesigned. And a lot of this is maybe teething issues. Maybe there's going to be some reprogramming on the CVT. Maybe, you know, if you pay for the better stereo, you won't be as upset as I was, like Sammy said. Um, yeah, and, and eyesight, it's none of these. It's tough, self, right? Like, these, only, the only self-driving system that has very few flaws that I've experienced recently is BMWs. And even then, I've had to grab the wheel, like I said, when someone cuts into my lane. So none of them are 24-7 protections. 
Right. Uh, it's really interesting because eyesight, I mean, I'd consider it premature. It's gone through a number of, of generations and iterations, and uh, it's been usually pretty reliable. But this time, I really noticed it not wanting to engage in, in tricky situations. And I've said this in the past. A driver's assistance system is made to assist me when I'm having trouble. And if the car is having difficulty seeing, how do you think I'm going to deal with this this stuff, right? Well, I mean, we've talked in the past <clears throat> about how, yeah, like uh, like uh, these self-driving systems, they, they never intervene when human beings would rather not be driving. <laughs> yeah. It's only under like bright, sunny sky conditions that you great. can take your hands off the wheel. What a great situation. Like that is when I'm at – it's the easiest to drive. Of course the car will take over then. Yeah. Uh, take all the credit for my work. <laughs> so is there anything is there anything else you want to say about the, the Outback? No. And uh, before we get into the next car that we're going to talk about, I'd like to take a quick break for a message from our sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by Roland Gumpert and the Gumpert Natalie, a pure electric super sports car that's powered by a methanol fuel cell. That means that this isn't really a hydrogen fuel cell car or a battery-powered EV. Instead, electricity is delivered via a chemical reaction with air and methanol. Methanol is cheaper than gas and easier to transport than hydrogen, making it an ideal power source. While you drive, the fuel cell provides a steady stream of energy to the electric motors. When you're low on methanol, it takes just three minutes to refuel. The Natalie is expected to have a range of 530 miles, but that's not the only number that matters. The Natalie is extremely fast, with 800 horsepower delivered by four EV motors. It hits 60 in just two and a half seconds and has a top speed of 190 miles per hour. It also looks pretty badass, like it jumped right out of a video game. To learn more about this electric super sports car, check the link in our show notes or head to RolandGumpert.com. And we're back. I hope that break wasn't too long. Ben, it was what did so, you think? Sammy, it was perfect. It was, it was a perfect length of time. Um, let's talk about the other car that I drove, which as well started with the, um, with the letters out. I had the Mitsubishi Outlander. The letters out? The letters, the letters O U T. I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay. Uh, the letters O U T. Thank you, Ben. I remember learning what the difference between words and letters are just as we got back from the break. Just uh, that back when you were learning how to be tough. I guess they tell you about it at the same time. <laughs> yes, of course. Um, Outlander PHEV, which is a vehicle that's designed to be the best of two worlds, specifically uh, electric motoring and uh, traditional gasoline powered transportation I, and I have a in my huge experience, <laughs> in my experience the outlander unfortunately achieves the worst of both worlds that's what i was gonna say i don't think it's the best of anything i don't think it was designed to be the best of anything either i think that the outlander was intended to be affordable and mm-hmm. fill a gap in the showroom we we last talked about the outlander two years ago almost to the day uh which is when i drove the um this is when I drove the vehicle at its launch, and I'm still haunted by that experience. <laughs> so uh, let's talk about the basics of this thing. It features a two-liter four-cylinder um, gasoline engine, as well as, I believe, a 12-kilowatt-hour battery. Let me double-check here. Um, and I'm – it's – it's yeah, 12-kilowatt-hour battery. There is no real way to describe the, the the combined output of the of this engine because the peaks and valleys of these um, motors. There's there's an electric motor at the front, an electric motor at the rear, and that gas motor I believe also drives the front wheels um, as well. So 
all of this does it just doesn't add up to a way that I can just tell you exactly how and you know much what else it doesn't add up to an experience you would want to have it never felt very fast it was um it felt really lethargic it felt it, it, it dated actually is the best way to put it which is important and and something that we should talk about because when we first when the car first debuted in the global stage I think it was 2013 uh it had a refresh I think 2 years ago in terms of in terms of interior and exterior design oh yeah that's when but, I drove it but it still hasn't quite made any sort of – it doesn't feel modern. No, it doesn't no, look modern. The uh, most important thing, takeaway from any discussion of the Outlander PHEV is it feels like a vehicle that was designed five years ago. And it feels like that every single year it advances in age. It's Remember we talked about the Forerunner a while back? Mm-hmm. Actually, a couple episodes ago, just about how dated the interior of the Forerunner felt and how how rough and rugged and noisy the drivetrain was. The Outlander is much worse. The, the, if, if there was no other SUV on the market, I could recommend the Outlander because it's not it's, – and, and that sounds really obtuse to say. But what I mean by that is it's not like it does anything particularly badly. You don't get into it and you're like, oh, this is awful. Everything about this experience is awful. In a vacuum, it's okay. But it's definitely a, that's right. In a vacuum, it's definitely okay. It's, but in a market where there's where you know other companies have been investing in their products for decades, yeah. <laughs> the the Outlander is just totally a relic. It's also important to point out that other automakers have been investing in in the areas that the Outlander claims to be so advanced. There are better electric uh, crossovers out there. Uh, there are better gas vehicles out there uh one of the most important things to talk about is the range of this vehicle the battery range the all ev range is about 21 miles which is not a lot not a lot at all and the combined output or the combined range of both the battery and the gas engine because uh, the, the gas tank is quite small is 309 miles 309 miles. Isn't ben. that isn't that roughly the same as the battery output on the smaller kona ev uh, it's not far off the the Kona EV, but there are full EVs that have a range that is that is comparable. That is definitely comparable. And then, furthermore, charging this battery takes a long time. Um, to get your 21 miles of range, you have to plug into a regular outlet for 13 hours. Okay, 13 okay. hours. Just to get 21 miles. I'll away. say this, though. Most people who own a PHEV are not going to be plugging into a regular okay. outlet. So a, a level 2 is 3.5, which is pretty – it's much better. But I don't know. Are you really wanting to wait 3.5 hours for 20 miles of range? I don't want to wait three and a half hours for anything, Sammy. So <laughs> I'm the wrong person possible. to ask. Um, it, it's just – it's another feature of the fact that Mitsubishi threw this vehicle together. They had the parts they, – they, they had access to a, a, a an electric drivetrain. They put it in this vehicle. They put it on the market and then they forgot about it. So nothing about it has been updated. The charging system on the vehicle hasn't been updated. The interior hasn't been updated. The, the drivetrain itself feels dated. It's just a very old car being sold for a new car price. Which is un- – it's really a shame because I had this GT model. It, it's clear that they have – tried to make this thing a little bit more impressive. Specific, specifically, interior materials, it has this gorgeous, I'm, I'm, I'm honest, it has nice, quilted, stitched leather seats, and I thought that was really impressive. But everything else about this car was junk. I could not stand the infotainment system. It had no knobs, problem number one. Uh, was tiny, 
didn't include um, it, it, like a, a vented seats. It had heated seats and I had a heated steering wheel. It didn't have. I don't think it had heated seats in the back. Um, it has this really obnoxious looking gear selector. It looks like a like it, it's it's very phallic looking. It looks awkward. Um, it has a, a, a curiously pa- placed buttons. For example, um, there's an eco mode. There is a battery selection mode, how you want the battery to charge. You can use the gas motor to charge it, which is very convenient. You can save the electric uh, battery range if you wanted to. Uh, there's a, there's an ability to change the braking, the regenerative braking, but all of this, all of these buttons are in like different places. It doesn't make any sense. Usually a car has one drive mode selector. You can click on this and be done with it. Um, but this one has one on the center console, one by the gear selector, and then you use the paddles to switch the, the, the braking the regenerative braking modes. I, I Additionally, think it, hold on. There are six settings for the regenerative brakings. That is at least three too many. Definitely. <laughs> so I was so I was so upset because I think that Mitsubishi tried to be one of the first in the segment back in 2013, uh, and maybe back then the car seemed like a pretty cool idea. And since then, it's been it's been on the market for so long. Globally, they are able to claim that it's one of the best selling. Um, PHEVs or, or yeah, PHEVs in the market, um, but I just don't. I just wouldn't believe that sort of market spin. Well, and and also you know best selling because they price it to to sell it, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I think we we need to impress upon our listeners the fact that Mitsubishi is a company that makes no competitive products. Everything that they make is sold based on price, which is fine. But if you buy it, you need to know you're making a compromise, and that compromise is most likely going to be capability quality or features it's another important thing that i've i've read about um is that potentially at um there's going to be an upgrade to the to the outlander phev i don't know if this is going to be a big deal but it will it'll get a bigger engine and a bigger battery pack um and we'll see what happens i mean that's a 2021 model year vehicle and uh it's important to point out that this vehicle was like essentially built before the Renault Renault Nissan Alliance, uh, Mitsubishi joined the Nissan Renault Alliance back in the uh, a few years ago, and they have access, I imagine, to a bunch of, you know, better electric components, and I think they should probably be leveraging that access for a better um, Outlander PHEV. Uh, Sammy, is there anything else you wanted to add about this vehicle? I don't think so. Oh yes, absolutely. Actually, hold on. Something we should talk about. Electric vehicles like to make these noises at low speeds so that people can hear them. Have you heard of the? You know, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, you I, like, this I like a sound that sound. I like it when it sounds like a like a mildly irritated goose. Mm-hmm. Like maybe I'm about to be attacked by a goose. That's that's a sound that I prefer. The the some vehicles usually have like this angelic hum. Like, ah, have you ever heard this? You never heard this. Well, I hear that all the time. Uh, okay. Every time I enter the a room. Outlander PHV had more of a metallic screech. Which sounded <laughs> yes. like something was broken. It was like, yeah, and it was terrifying. And I was like, what is this noise? I had to, we had to like roll down the windows and be like, is that really what it sounds like? It's like you're being attacked by Daleks. Yes. It's also interesting because uh, the charge port in some um, electric vehicles is usually in the front of the vehicle uh, in their grill. But the Mitsubishi Outlander has it on the passenger side rear of the vehicle. And it's quite a large vehicle. So that means you really have to think about how and where you're, you're plugging it in in relation to the, charge, the charging stations. Anyways, that's all to say that I don't think this is a very competitive product. Um, 
as much as people might try to and try to sell you on the uh, no compromised vision of the Outlander PHEV, the reality is it's neither a good electric vehicle and not a very good gas product either. So I would probably tell you to ignore it as best as you can. I second that opinion. All right. So that's it for this week's podcast. Is that right, Ben? That is correct. If you want to hear other podcasts from the past, for example, episode 57 from February 2nd, 2018, which is when we first talked about the PHEV version of the Outlander, you can go to automa- <coughs> excuse me. You can go to unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. All of our podcasts are listed there. You can subscribe using any of the many buttons that link you directly to your favorite podcatcher or service. Like, or you can just search on Google Play Music, on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, App, uh, Apple iTunes. We are everywhere. CastBox, uh, Spotify, you name it. And um, you can also uh, reach out and contact us on unnamedautomotivepodcast.com if you want to. There's a form for you to fill out that will get your information and messages directly to us. Sammy, are there other ways they can reach out and get in touch? Of course there are other ways to reach out and get in touch. Uh, For example, you can reach out to us on social media. I am on Twitter at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. And you can find Ben. He's on the filter-filled world of Instagram. He's at HuntingBenjamin. Additionally, if for whatever reason you prefer email to all of these other gizmos and gadgets, you can send us an email the old-fashioned way, benjamin at benjaminhunting.com. That's the way you do it. It's that easy. And uh, Sammy, what are you going to be driving next week? Um, I'm going to be talking about – what are we going to be ta- – are we going to be talking about the new Corvette potentially? Are we, are we going to Spring Mountain Racetrack in Nevada and driving the brand new Chevrolet Corvette C8, Sammy? I'm not sure, Ben. Are Maybe we, be, we are. Are we going to be doing it together? I think so. That sounds like a lot of fun. That's what we're going to be doing. <laughs> That's what we're going to be talking about next week. Um, and if there's any time, I might also talk about the WRX. But who can say? Because the Corvette is kind of a big deal. And we're going to have a lot of time behind the wheel on the track and on the street um, and in Vegas. So we'll have a lot to talk about. I'm very excited about that. And you guys should be too. So we can't wait to talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. This week's podcast was brought to you by Roland Gumpert and the Gumpert Natalie. This is the first electric car with a methanol fuel cell. This means the car can be refueled quickly and affordably and doesn't need a fancy hydrogen tank or heavy EV batteries. It's also incredibly fast with a 0-60 to time of just 2.5 seconds. Did we mention that it's a sexy two-door speed machine? Be sure to head to RolandGumpert.com to learn more or check the links in our show notes.